You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Strap on your parachute. It's time for What Goes Up with Sarah Ponzik and Mike Regan. Hello, and welcome to What Goes Up, a Bloomberg Weekly Markets podcast. I'm Sarah Ponzik, a reporter on the Cross Asset team. And I'm Mike Regan, a senior editor on the markets team who is fresh out of wacky dynamic duos for, for you and I, Sarah. I don't know. I'm. I shouldn't have started this whole gimmick. I'm completely out of out of duos now. Honestly, Mike, I was expecting coming in to this week's show that you weren't even going to bring it up. So the ad, <laughs> the fact that you're even admitting it will give you something, at least. Right. But next week, I'd... I'm holding you to it. We'll have a new one. All right. Good, good. Fair enough. <laughs> but this week on the show, we've discussed it before. Coronavirus cases continue to rise across U.S. hotspots and other countries, too. Yet financial markets seem relatively unbothered. Our guest was on the right side of the stock rebound earlier this year, but now she's starting to talk about the potential for a market melt-up. And as always, we'll close out this week's episode with our tradition, the craziest thing I saw in markets this week. And of course, if you see something crazy, give us a call on the Bloomberg podcast hotline at 646 324 3490 and leave us a voicemail and maybe we'll play it on the show or if you just have a suggestion or some feedback on the show we'd like to hear it hear that too sarah i hope you came prepared for with a crazy thing i've got a pretty good one you have a pretty good one you say I, it every i do week. i do i do it's true it's true it's <laughs> most of the time it, it's true it's the one <laughs> the one thing i'm good at my my career highlight is is crazy <laughs> things take take that for what it's worth take so, it and run with it Exactly, exactly. So uh, joining us for the first time, a new guest. We're very excited to have her. Her name is Anna Han. She's an equity strategist at Wells Fargo Security. And uh, again, first time on the show. Anna, welcome to the show. I hope you brought a crazy thing, too. I did. Thanks for having me, Mike and Sarah. Glad to be here. Okay, good. Well, don't give us your crazy thing yet. We like to save that for the end. It's like the dessert after a, a nice, nutritious meal, as I like to say. After you eat your vegetables. <laughs> that's, that's right. But then I wanted to start uh, by asking you about this whole notion of a melt-up. Um, you know, the way I would think of the definition of a melt-up, I, I guess there's not really a textbook sort of definition of it as far as what kind of percentage gain and, and then subsequent pullback we'd be talking about. But to me, it just means sort of uh, a, an irrational sudden lurch higher in the equity market that 
typically would be would be followed by a meltdown, I guess, um, uh, uh, you know, sort of a retracement of a lot of that gain. Um, so uh, correct me if I'm wrong on any of that as far as how you define it, but also what would that look like in this scenario? I mean, I think the, the problem with sort of entering what would be considered a melt-up phase of the market is really not having any idea how far it could go or when it would reverse. Um, so how would you sort of approach that type of scenario that we, we, we seem seems like we very well could be entering? Well, Mike, you sort of hit that on the head already. When you get a melt-up, it's hard to characterize or exactly put your finger on it. But the way I would describe it is it's this exuberance. It's a investor risk-seeking that sort of gets ahead of itself. And when it does, like you said, you're not sure exactly how long can it go, but you know that it's more of a destabilizing push up higher in equities rather than a uh, a positive, you know, uh, encouraging move on the equity market. So we've been suspecting that the risk of a melt up is getting higher because look, when you've got zero rates, you've got massive accommodation, both monetary and fiscal. And, you know, you have improving sentiment and you're seeing data economically, jobs, uh, manufacturing, not just domestically, but globally improving. It's going to spur that sort of risk seeking. And we're worried that's getting a little ahead of itself. So, I remember back in 2018, also in 2019, hearing people talk about this phrase, a melt-up. And usually when people talk about a melt-up, it comes with a negative connotation that that people are scared of this spooky, spooky melt-up and stocks are going to be rising for no fundamental reason that people can really pinpoint. But the way you look at it is that I mean, you can play this game. Stocks are going up. That's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Absolutely. It's not something where you should be so fearful that you feel like you need to sit on the sidelines and, you know, head for the cash. Um, I would put it more as you can ride that rally, but know what you're getting into and look for those signs on when you think that melt up or that rally is really losing steam. So for us, we think one of the catalysts that's going to push this melt up higher is probably going to be the second quarter earnings season. We expect a generally constructive tone, and that can make investors a little too hopeful that really the worst is over, not just the worst, but hey, things are going to get better sooner than expected. So if that happens and you see this massive urge in equities, we think it won't necessarily be followed by a full toppling down, perhaps a meltdown like Mike, you were mentioning, but it could come to an abrupt halt. And that could be a concern if it does pull back, that can spook investors. Because you know when you go from this exuberant high to a sudden scary exuberant low, that shock, that can really spook investors. Can I imply uh, from that or infer from that that have the earnings estimates for the second quarter been cut too low, do you think? Is that is that what you mean by construction constructive earnings season that sort of the hurdle is so low now that it'll be a pretty easy beat for uh, a lot of companies? And where would you suspect those beats to, to mainly be? Is it across the board or, or you know, in the growth stocks, in, in sort of the cyclical stocks? Is there any sort of sort of way to get ahead of what you think is coming in the earnings season? 
You bring up a great point, Mike. It's that expectation because really equities, that's a game of expectation and risk perception. So with the earnings season, there are going to be pockets or certain sectors in the economy that investors and analysts on you know the sell side like myself are going to lower their estimates expecting really that they got decimated because of the coronavirus. Um, but as we've seen already, you've seen some of this value style resurgence, some of the really beaten down names have recovered uh, quite decently. Now, you're also seeing the opposite side of the trend, the high growth, high momentum names that were steady all through the downturn in March and April, they continue to be those outperformers. So the question becomes, as the bar gets higher, can you continue to leap over that? Um, or and when you have a very low bar, is it enough just to kind of, you know, barely hop over that? I'm suspecting that really in the value pockets, you're going to see some beaten down expectations. But that's why we actually think that that's an opportunity for us. Because the bar is lower, you can have that kind of uh, positive reaction after you get an earnings beat. And then on the growth side, I just say, you know, again, these growth players, they've done very well through the turmoil, um, but whether they're going to be able to hop over that high hurdle and what the expectation is, it's really a mix of the short-term expectation versus our investors perhaps looking already to 2021. your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Before we get to talking further about this disparity between value and growth, I do want to talk about the factors of a melt-up just a little bit more, because you mentioned earlier on that it's something that you can take part in, but you really want to be on the lookout for the factors, the signals that might point to a blow-off top or the end of a melt-up. I mean, what are those factors that you actually look for? And what's to say that maybe we haven't seen a melt-up already? And I know that sounds so crazy because we're in the middle of a recession, but some might look at this rally that we have seen and say, wait, where are the fundamentals behind this? You know, that's a common pushback we've gotten from investors and clients is look at this massive rally. Isn't it too expensive already? Should I really be playing in equities? And, and has this, is this gonna, you know, run out of steam? When we think about it, it's easy to look at where equities and valuations are now and to think this is expensive, especially when you don't know what that denominator earnings should be, uh, given all this turmoil. But for us, the situation is different this time because you've had so much monetary and fiscal stimulus and you've had it come bigger and badder and faster than we've had it ever in history. So we're in an unprecedented time of liquidity and stimulus. So that is going to make multiples be able to reach higher and be in what I would say a different regime really than you've seen in the past. 
That being said, one of the indicators, like you said, factors to watch out for, we like to look at risk. Really, again, equities are the story of what investors perceive risk to be in the upcoming couple months. Now, as risk, you can measure in different ways, but think about the VIX indicator, the index. The VIX is telling us what investors believe equities, how risky they think they are. And you saw it spike massively in March and then rapidly decay. And with that decay from the lows of March, S&P 500 has rallied 40%, right? So that goes hand in hand. Now, we've seen that VIX start creeping higher. It was in the low 20s. Now it's flirting with 30 this Thursday. And with that moving forward, as you see this risk creep back in the system and yet equities be able to push higher, if not leg up significantly, that could be one of the big signals that this rally is getting ahead of itself. I'm glad you brought up the VIX. And I know uh, you were a derivatives trader in a a former life, right? Is that right? Yep. Oh, that was a a former life for sure, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, there has been a lot of talk about exactly what you're talking about. The the VIX has receded, but still lingering in that sort of, you know, high 20s to 30 level, which, um, you know, when you think back, maybe given the VIX's lifetime average, I think for a long time was right around 20. But boy, for a while there, we were looking at a single digit VIX, you know, um, you know, again, another lifetime pre pre COVID. Um, but I, I wonder if that sort of suggests that, you know, the, the professional hedge fund class is pretty well hedged against, you know, uh, the meltdown, uh, and uh, side of the melt up, you know what I mean? That the, the sort of coming back to earth and that, that might actually provide a bit of a, a cushion that would prevent that, you know, that sort of return to rationality, if, if you will, after a melt up from getting out of hand. You know, if, if you're if you're well hedged, maybe the the need to to sell out will uh, of your of your long positions will not be as strong. I mean, is that a, a fair way to think of of a, a high VIX in this type of environment? Yeah, I think that is a fair way. And Mike, you know, the one way I would characterize it is fool me once, you know, shame on you, fool me twice. That's on me. So after a lot of investors got burned by the sudden 30% drop in March, they realized I have to have that downside protection. So there are more people who are out there prepared for that and better hedged. But that's not to say that there isn't also upside seeking where people are buying calls and taking those wagers on the market. So you do see better downside protection that may provide some cushion were we to see a further slide down. But our view really, we're not too fearful of a huge pullback here. We don't think we're going to see a massive drop in the S&P 500. Really, it's more of a risk to the upside and that surge higher. Now, that being said, we do have a lot of risks on the horizon. And if you look again in the options market, what's interesting that I found is that it looks like investors are more worried about the next six months, so the rest of this year, than the first half of next year. And that's odd to think. Usually it's the other way around, further out, more uncertainty. You know, the options are priced with higher uncertainty. That's not the case now. And part of that could be because of the lingering effects of the coronavirus and perhaps maybe that domestic political risk that's getting priced in. 
That is a bit surprising, just considering the fact that, okay, the next six months, it is very, very difficult to understand what's going to come our way. I mean, first, we are potentially dealing with a fiscal cliff this month. We have the earnings season coming up. We don't know what's going to happen with the trajectory of the virus, what that means for the economic recovery. Then we've got a presidential election. I mean, the list just goes on. But with that said, how much do you think uh, the expectations for volatility in 2021 being lower than they stand now is just people throwing their hands up and saying, I have no clue. I mean, if you can't predict the next six months, what's to say you can predict the following year? No, that's a good point, Sam. There's a lot of focus in that short term because so much is going on, so much crammed in the next six months. But if you think about that, that should still make the whole next year be higher up in uncertainty. But if you're expecting a drop after the next six months, that's telling as well. The shape of the VIX curve, as you alluded to, is is just very unusual right now. Um, you know, you do have this spike sort of in October and, and in the fall. There's always kind of been, at least the last, I don't know, uh, most of 2020, there's been that sort of weird kink in the VIX curve where there was elevated uh, futures in, say, November, October. I wonder, you know, I would have thought that would have gotten smoothed out when you sort of eliminated the Bernie Sanders, uh, Elizabeth Warren uh risk from the election uh, as Biden sort of be ascended to the, the, the point where he's the, the nominee. It really hasn't smoothed out, though. So I wonder is how much of, of that hedging for that time frame is political risk as far as maybe not even Biden, but um, the uh, idea of a, a blue sweep, you know, a, a, a Senate and House and White House controlled by the Democrats and sort of the roll rollback of the, the massive Trump tax cuts. Or is some of it that and some of it the worry about that second wave of the virus? I mean, is it, you know, from someone who's traded this type of stuff, is it is it possible to sort of suss out and, and talking to clients? What is, you know, what is causing that odd shape in the VIX curve? It's hard to really pick it apart just from looking at just the VIX curve or just the S&P options market. But you talk to investors and I think there really is the growing threat of what's going to happen this uh, this presidential election. Like you mentioned, let's say we get a blue sweep, but you have to realize that the platforms and the economic proposals that candidates have been running on, what we thought they were back in January and February, they're not the case anymore. You're seeing them adapt to the situation given the economic recession we're in. And right now, we're not sure what form they're going to take. So even as you see one party or another gaining momentum, we know that perhaps were you to see a sweep, you might see changes enacted much faster. But what are those changes? That's what is that big uncertainty that people are still fuzzy on. And I think that's why you're seeing that that kink in the curve, like you said. your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. 
Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. All right, so Anna, bringing it back to how you and your team are advising clients' position, it was back on March 26th that you guys said you believe that 2237 was the market low, which it has been, but at that time you still favored high quality um, names, also growth. But then it was mid-April that you guys shifted and you started to say that you wanted to pick up on this rotation, particularly into value and cyclicals, and that really did pay off through May and early June, but lately, it's unbelievable the resurgence that we have seen in growth names, mega cap, technology, the fangs. I mean, many at record highs uh, since June 8th, I believe the NASDAQ is beating the S&P by uh, 10 percentage points or so or a hefty margin. Are you guys sticking with this call that you believe that value and cyclicals are a good opportunity right now? And what would it take for that to turn back around? Yeah, so far, Sarah, we are still on that value camp and we are on that risk on play. And that's not to say that this growth and momentum don't work. We do think that's one trend you've seen through the markets, but where the opportunity is, is really where the value is. Where's the, where's the, I wouldn't say bang for your buck, but where's the trade where you can see a bigger multiple expansion than you would get with these growth names? And that's really in the value camp. Because that opportunity came when you had that massive sell-off. Those value names, a lot of them got really destroyed because the higher risk, naturally, when you have stress in the economic environment and equities, those higher risk names are going to be the first to go. But we take sort of a first-in, first-out approach that those names that got really beaten down, if they are able to continue accessing capital, which thank you to the Fed, they are because of that credit liquidity, then that discounting should actually, in a way, get reversed as they're able to access capital and continue to take uh, advantage of the opportunities in liquid markets. We think that these companies have a chance of coming back. Now we are seeing that rally back. We saw a lot of that action. We think there's more left to it. But again, uh, what we're watching carefully is to make sure that trade doesn't get too heated. If I think of a rotation from growth to value, I'm thinking of a pretty messy market, you know, given the the dominance of of the big growth names. Uh, But in your opinion, it sounds like you think it could sort of just be a a rotation that doesn't really hurt the growth growth names as much as just sort of prop up up the value uh, end of things. Um, And what I keep going back to, I've been droning on and on a lot about is the bank stocks. Uh, If you look at the KBW bank index, I mean, the PE is like single digits. I think it's like nine point something. Uh, dividend yield is like four and a half and above percent. I mean, pretty amazing. Is the assumption, um, do you think just that these dividends aren't going to survive given the the sort of uh, strenuousness of, of this year's stress tests and the mandates that, that came with it about cap? It, you know, obviously they have to cap their dividends, but, it, you know, I think there's a, a suspicion that we might see some dividend cuts. Um Boy, if that happens, I, I that seems like it's going to be a, a weird day on the stock market if we start to see a big bank dividend cut. Um, maybe I'm just shell-shocked from the 2008 experience, but how do you look at, at the bank sector as far as a value play, um, as well as sort of you know being integral to, to the financial system as a whole? 
Well, banks certainly are integral to the financial system. And like you said, you know, in the great financial crisis, bank dividends and banks were the problem. They were what broke. And now today in the virus crisis, it's a different story. The banks are not the source of the problem, but they are one of the hardest hit, especially when you bring rates to zero. You know, the net interest margins on banks, they just get decimated. It's hard for banks right now. So they are a value play. The question is, are they a value trap? Now, regarding dividends, you realize so they have already paid their first two quarters of dividends and many banks are approved to pay their third quarter as expected. Like you mentioned, they're capped, but that was expected. I don't want to, I don't think sell side analysts were expecting a raise this year given the environment. And mind you that they actually stopped all their buyback repurchasing. So with that, they have extra cash on hand to handle dividends and also any other potential bankruptcy crisis that come around. But going forward, it's not that they had to cancel the rest of their dividends. They were asked by the Fed to reevaluate by quarter. And so far, it's our view that they will be able to pay out the rest of their dividends. But as an investment as a whole, the financial sector, it's certainly taken a beating. Uh, well, uh, lucky for you, Mike, the banks kick off second quarter earnings season next week. So I'm sure there will be plenty of fodder for you to obsess over. All right, right. You know, I like a good earnings conference call from the bank CEOs. But it really isn't, you know, it, it's interesting. I think a lot of people are waiting to hear what the bank CEOs are obviously in a position to know more about the consumer and credit trends than anyone else. So uh, yeah, it should be interesting, to say the least. But you know what else is interesting, Sarah? What's interesting, Mike? We'll just let Charlie Pellet tell us. Stand clear of the craziest things we saw in markets this week. That's right. It's time for the craziest thing. And since I hyped mine up so much, Sarah, I'll, I'll start with mine, uh, if you don't mind. Don't mind at all. It's once again making appearance in this segment is none other than Elon Musk. Now, obviously, Tesla and Elon have been tormented for years by the, the short sellers of the world out to get them. Um, and he had for a long time, Sarah, he had joked that he was going to buy a bunch of short shorts. You know, remember the old hot pants we used to call them in the 70s, the, the very short, short shorts like, yep. you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. OK, all right. He was going to he said he was going to buy some and send them as gifts to, to short sellers. Um Sure enough, he he went one fur, further than that, and he actually had a line of Tesla short shorts produced. They are <laughs> super skimpy red satin shorts. On the front, they have the Tesla logo, and then on the back, it says S3XY, which if you sort of glance at it, it looks like sexy. Uh, but of, it's course really, it, of course they do. Of right, course but, the shorts say that. They do. But obviously, that is also the the four models of uh, Tesla's available on the market. Let me just read you the description of, of these shorts. Celebrate summer with Tesla short shorts. Run like the wind or entertain like Liberace with our red satin and gold trim design. Relax poolside or lounge indoors year round with the limited edition Tesla short shorts featuring our logo, blah, blah, blah. Around Enjoy exceptional comfort from the closing bell. So he... <laughs> We have we have any idea what sales for these Tesla short shorts are looking like? Well, they are sold out. They are sold out. So, so I think great. um I think yeah, we'll have to and this hey, the stock's been up uh since he introduced them. So um I don't know, we'll have to factor them into your Tesla val valuation models going forward. I think he should he, he should restock. They're selling like hotcakes. 
Well, do we know how many they made in the first place? What, they made five and they're sold out? Uh, no, could I'm be. just kidding. Could be, yeah. <laughs> could be, could be. $69.42 uh, listed as 69.420 on the website. So two sort of uh, juvenile numeric jokes there in the price Wait, of, of the shorts. You're telling me that these shorts sell for nearly $70? That's right. That's right. It's higher than a Lululemon price tag workout shorts. <laughs> Tesla can get away with a lot these days. That's as long as they're got... not see-through. <laughs> Hopefully not. Or they'll get a lot of blowback. That's um, right. I, I forgot about the big see-through Lululemon scandal. That was a, that was a, that was a big one. That was a big one. They've, they've, they've gotten past that now. They've, they've fixed their products up. <laughs> but Mike, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to piggyback off of you because Tesla has just been on a tear this week. Uh, and I, I know we constantly come back to the likes of Tesla or Nikola on this show for our crazy things that we see in markets. But sometimes you just really can't avoid it. I mean, in the six days through July 7th, Tesla was up 45%. So so maybe we'll attribute that to sold out Tesla short shorts now that we know that that, that is going on in the world. But I mean, this is a stock that's up 230% year to date and over the last 12 months up close to 500%. Uh, and we know the company has a lot of haters, uh, but it's still pretty amazing to see. It really is. Anna, what, what do you come with? This is more on the economic side. I was thinking about the influence of how testing and knowing whether you're sick or not weighs on consumer spending. So when you look at testing availability across the states, I was shocked. I just read today that in Arizona, one of the nation's biggest drive through testing centers, guess how long it takes people to get tested there? Cars are lined up, I kid you not, for eight hours eight hours in over 100 degree heat cooking like a rotisserie chicken in line <laughs> while you're waiting for this test. So that compared to my buddy in New York City told me he hopped in and out of the of the next door um, emergency care testing done 30 minutes. Yeah. So that disparity to me, you know, while I, you know, make light of it is also extremely concerning when it comes to how will this weigh on consumer spending and sentiment, even if we don't have official lockdown orders on a state and federal level, just that that mental you know weight of it, that could actually be a big factor going forward. It's a great point. I've heard similar stories down here in Florida, people waiting in extremely long lines in Miami to get tested. At the same time, I know someone who recently got tested and didn't get his uh, results back for eight days. So... The wait time, at least from that picture, doesn't seem to be getting shorter because there's just so much volume right now. Right, right. Yeah, and you know, you wonder how many people actually catch it from waiting in line in these things too. You know? Stay in your car, keep your mask on, keep <laughs> yeah, your windows yeah. up. <laughs> I guess the the drive-throughs probably are the the safest safest way. I've seen some long foot lines around here. I went for a bike ride last weekend and. Uh, decent distance from my house i passed two testing sites with just enormous foot lines uh at like i was like eight thirty nine in the morning so um yeah it's a it's a good one anna that's a uh got a way on your mind i think just wait waiting out those results and then you know you go out to the store again and then you're worried if you have to get tested again after that 
Yeah. What a world we're living in. I actually have an, a bonus one to share. Oh, bonus. But this one, this one because uh, it was hyped on Twitter. I have to bring it up because, yeah, it's crazy. Over the weekend, this last weekend, Kanye going on Twitter and saying that he is announcing his official 2020 presidential bid. And I'm bringing this up because one of our listeners at Jordan Rutner said this better be featured on the craziest things I saw this week. You know, Anna, I'm just waiting um, for the Wells Fargo note to hit my inbox that lays out (laughs) what markets are going to do should Kanye West win uh, the presidency in 2020. I'm hoping that boosts the uh, our, our waiting on the consumer discretionary sector, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the birthday party. I do like his party name, the birthday party. <laughs> it is a good one, Mike. It's a good but one. I, I wonder if he'll even be able to get on the ballot. You know, it, it, he's it's running late. up against the deadlines on the ballot, on getting on the ballots. But, uh, well, it, you know, that's 20, I think that's 2020 for you in a nutshell right there is the surprise entrance of Kanye West into the uh into the presidential race i'm waiting for something more nothing i am surprised every time something like this happens in 2020 but it is beginning to be very difficult to become surprised by anything anymore yeah yeah i will (laughs) say um, among my daughters who are teenagers and preteens that was the biggest political news of the year to them that and trump possibly banning tiktok if they ban tiktok the 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 preteens and the teens of the world are going to riot. It's going to be it's going to be all hell will break loose. Yeah, if, they if really they will. They really will. <laughs> Starting in my house. Yep. Starting in my house. <laughs> all right. Well, with that said, Anna Han, uh, it was so great having you on the show this week, and we would love to have you on again. Thanks so much, Sarah, Mike. What Goes Up will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at, at Sarah Ponsek. Mike is at Reganonymous. And you can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. Of course, another thank you to Charlie Pellet of Bloomberg Radio and the voice of the New York City subway system as well. What Goes Up is produced by Jordan Gospore. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.